Welcome to Testing Code, a podcast about software development, software testing, and Python. On today's show, we talk with Nina Zakarenko about giving tech talks. Actually, it's more than that. We'll be talking about a blog series that Nina wrote called The Ultimate Guide to Memorable Tech Talks. This episode is full of great help and encouragement for your own public speaking adventures. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you to PyBytes Code Challenges for sponsoring this episode. On today's episode of Testing Code, we have again, I think you've been on before, Nina Zakarenko. You've been on before, right? Yeah, I think just once. We talked about mentorship. Oh, right. Yeah. And then we've been on Python Bytes a couple times together as well, doing various things. Yeah, quite a few times. I think the 100th episode, right? The big celebration. Yeah, that was fun. That was great. Yeah. You talk at conferences a lot. I do. Yeah. We'll get into that, but uh, just in case um, people forget who you are, will you introduce yourself and what you do? Absolutely. Hey, Brian, I'm Nina Zakarenko. I'm a senior cloud developer advocate at Microsoft focusing on Python. That actually sounds pretty cool. And I'm more and more interested in with the Microsoft offerings and cloud platform because of uh, the continuous integration stuff is is starting to look pretty darn cool. Yeah, we're also going to be showing off a few cool things at the Microsoft booth at PyCon. So, And we have great giveaways and awesome swag, so make sure you stop by. Okay, I will. I keep forgetting to do that. I usually just hang out at my booth, and then by the time I get around to other people's stuff, it's all gone. All the good (laughs) swag's gone. Yeah, so our booth will be... Right as you enter, Microsoft is the keystone sponsor for PyCon US. So as soon as you enter the Expo Center, it'll just be there. You can't miss it. It won't be hard to find then. Right. Okay. (laughs) And uh, I've been working with an illustrator to make a really cool custom design for this year's PyCon. So you won't see anything boring at our booth. Okay. I can't wait. You've built it up. (laughs) I got to remember to bring more books. I only brought like four books last time. And they, they like went right off the bat. I'm like, nobody's going to want to buy a book directly from me, but apparently they did. So I'll bring more books next time. Yeah, I, I'll pick up a copy. So <laughs> you just made your first sale. Cool. <laughs> I'm just still an introvert, like coder. And so it surprises me when people say, well, you, will you sign it? Like my name's already on the cover. What are you? Okay, fine. <laughs> but anyway, but you talk a lot at conferences now. Is that kind of part of your role as a developer advocate? Yeah, it is now. It's funny that you said you're an introvert. I'm a huge introvert too. I can just kind of turn it up for the conference, but then when I, you know, when I get home for the end of the day, I just need to lay on my face in a quiet place and recharge. But someone on Twitter called it an expovert. <laughs> an expovert. I love it. Yeah. It was just so perfect. So I started out speaking at conferences about five or six years ago. I was just, you know, an engineer doing development work. And I found it just fascinating. My very first Python conference, I just remember being so inspired by the speakers. Brandon Rhodes was there and Jacob Kaplan-Moss and Julia Evans. And I was like, oh my God, I wish that could be me one day. Thanks to some friends. I'll, I'll tell you the story if we have time for it at the end. I ended up doing my first talk and I was like, okay, this, this isn't bad. I didn't actually die like I thought I would. <laughs> I thought I would just, you know, get up there and croak and that would be the end of me. So the worst thing that I thought would happen didn't happen. And I just 
kept doing it again and again when I was in my engineering role. I only had a chance to maybe speak at one, maybe two or three conferences a year. And now that I'm doing developer advocacy, I have a lot more freedom. Okay, It's great. You put together a guide. One of the things we, we're going to talk about is you put a, a series of blog posts out called The Ultimate Guide to Memorable Tech Talks. That's a pretty grand title. But yeah. how many parts is like eight parts or something? I think it's seven parts. Seven parts? Okay. I've been enjoying it. I've actually been kind of reading it over and over again and trying to glean bits and pieces out of it. Did you start writing about that? I'm pretty active on Twitter. If you follow me, NNJA, that's like ninja, but without the I. And so I just sent a tweet out there into the world and asked who's interested in hearing about my strategy for how I approach conference talks, not really thinking anything of it. And in 24 hours, I think I got about 2,000 likes. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And in trying to figure out who was interested, you know, I just got this deafening roar. And so I had to do it. Okay. I feel like I couldn't let all those people down. Well, there's a lot of great information in here. You, you talk about really the nitty gritty stuff, like what tools to use and slide presentation software and stuff, all the way up to making sure you plan out your time to make sure you don't cram at the end and just try to do it prepare on the last day. I wanted to ask about, at least in the article, you said you use a tool called DeckSet. And how does that relate to Markdown? Yeah, so DeckSet is a way to take Markdown files and turn them into slides with themes and everything. Okay. Yeah. The reason I prefer it is because Markdown is a text format. So not only do I have my presentation similar to Dropbox, but I also have it in Git. So now all of my slides are source controlled. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, you know, you've, you're ever like work on a presentation and you, you put in a slide and you're like, oh, no, I don't need that. And so you delete it. And then an hour later, you're like, where's that slide? Okay. With source control, as long as you follow the mantra of committing early and committing often, you're never going to have that moment again. Right. It's all in there. It's funny. I put source control around everything now so that it's... um. When people say they lost something, I'm like, I don't understand. How did you lose it? Didn't you check it in? Yes. So that's exactly right. I mean, so Dexet does have a few quirks. Like, I don't know, for some reason I was, you know, messing around with things at the last minute. And as I was going through my slides live doing a talk, my notes disappeared. So that was an interesting one. It was probably, you know, like a formatting error somewhere. Have you counted how many talks you've given? That's a lot. It's a lot, but it's not that much. Maybe 15, maybe okay. 20, kind of throughout the past six years. Oh, okay. Not like a huge amount. I'm not like a serial presenter. For actual conferences, my number is two. Oh. And they were both exhilarating and horrible experiences that I want to do again. Yeah. The first one is the hardest. Well, yeah, it was 90 minutes also. I don't know why I agreed to that. And so my fear was, it'll be 90 minutes, I'll have the wrong audience, and they'll just be a handful of people staring at me, not have, reacting at all, and I'll only have 45 minutes worth of content. And that's exactly what happened. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, anyway, I was uh, you know trying to teach people about automated testing and PyTest, and, um, and there's a bunch of manual testers. 
nothing wrong with manual testing, but they didn't have enough experience to ask questions or anything. So yeah, was it a tutorial? No, I I, uh, I kind of wanted to just show the power of it mm-hmm. and also talk about my philosophy around t- testing. But it really only had like 20 minutes of content. So I added more stories. I had like five stories to make it like 45 minutes worth of content. And then it was just all stories. And I don't think anybody really knew what I was talking about. Yeah. An hour and a half is tough. I recommend starting with a lightning talk or speaking at your meetup, you know, your local meetup. One of the things that you even talk about is time management. And you were saying that, like, give yourself... By the time before you start getting ready for it to the talk itself, at least 20 hours of time preparing, that seems daunting even. You wouldn't have to do that for like a like a lightning talk or meetup though, right? Not for a lightning talk. And I would say not all of that time is spent necessarily on the slides or on practice. A lot of that time is spent researching, right? I want to make sure that if I'm saying something, I'm saying the right thing. Yeah. And that I'm not confusing folks and I'm introducing the correct concepts with the correct terminology. Yeah. And so the time it takes to thoroughly research a topic is part of that equation. And it's one of those things I have been speaking for a while. Each new talk gets a little bit easier, but the amount of time that it takes me to thoroughly prepare for a really good conference talk, that amount hasn't dropped. It hasn't changed like I hoped it would. Okay. Also, one of the things that I've noticed when I'm practicing a talk, the time's wrong. The time it takes me to actually give the talk is different than the time it it takes while I'm just practicing it. Is that something that's common to other people? Yeah, 100%. I mean, every time I do a talk, the timing's always a little off. And so my tip there is if you're trying to practice in front of at least one other person, Even if you can't find that person live, what I like to do when I was first starting out was uh, do a Hangouts on Air and just end up with an unpublished video on YouTube. So I could send people the link, but it wasn't discoverable. And so that was a good way to practice for time, for kind of for a pretend audience. And then my favorite tip here is once you've practiced for time and you know about how long your talk takes, find the midpoint and put a note in that slide that says you should be halfway done by now. Okay. Yeah. So if you get to that slide too fast, you know to slow down the second half of your talk. If you get to that slide without much time left, you know you're going to have to speed it up or cut a few slides from the end. Do you keep your own time or do you rely on other people for that? Yeah, I wear a watch and then I also have the time shown. So I wear a watch with a countdown timer so that I don't have to do the mental gymnastics of, you know, it's 11.37 p.m. How much time do I have left? Okay. And then I have the clock on my computer and then some of the better organized conferences also have session chairs who kind of wave a sign at you that says, you know, 10 minutes left, five minutes left, that sort of thing. The second talk I gave, that confused me. I, I wish I would have known, understood better. But there was a person that held up a sign that said 10 minutes. And I didn't know if that meant I have 10 minutes left or I've been going for 10 minutes. Oh. And uh, anyway, confused me. But now I know it's how much time is left. Yeah, I have to have as many cues as possible because <laughs> I'm completely time blind. I just have no idea. I want to stand still more. I've got this thing where I'm nervous up there. So I walk around and I'm all over the place. And I've actually had somebody tell me that I like that you're walking around, but I'm not doing that on purpose. I'm doing that because I'm nervous. And 
<laughs> but but it's fun. What should we jump into? Any cool things that you mistakes you see people make that they should not make? There are quite a few. And so the way that this guide came out, I posted on Twitter if anyone was interested, and then I started writing. And then I kept writing and kept writing. This took me a few weeks to put together, actually, and edit into something coherent. And I think I accidentally wrote a book. (laughs) Well, so are you going to make a book out of it? Maybe I should hit up some publishers. Maybe that's a good thing to explore because at some point I just had to cut myself off and say nobody is going to read this if I keep going. But I've read a few books on public speaking. You know, I've seen a few blog posts here and there, but I haven't seen anything quite as detailed as the series that I wrote and quite as large in scope. Well, it's neat. And it's something that you can, um, it's got enough pieces on it where you, you can tweak it and you'll have to, you know, if the, if you get too into the tools, you might have to update it once in a while. I think in terms of tips, there are quite a few. I started out, my talks were, my first few talks were not great. <laughs> Thankfully, most of them were not recorded, so they're not out there on the internet, but I did my very first lightning talk at PyCon Canada, I believe in 2013. And I was just so awkward, so nervous. You might be able to see me just shaking in the video. And then I was done. I got it over with. And as I'm trying to take the microphone off, it's just caught in my hair. And so, you know, I'm up there and struggling. And I posted a link to the video for this talk because it's just too funny to pass up. And so... I'm not a natural. (laughs) I am the furthest thing from a natural at this as you can get. I'm socially awkward. I'm shy. I'm introverted. I'm not great at thinking on my feet, right? There are some extrovert programmers, but let's be honest, what you just described is not uncommon in the tech sector. Yeah, and so I didn't jump into this and was fantastic for it right from the start. Like like most things that you, you're going to get good at, you have to practice. Yeah. In terms of tips, I think the first tip and one that I wish I had gotten sooner is just to breathe. Because <laughs> I would get on stage and I would just, I wasn't breathing and my voice would get all squeaky. I would get just kind of lightheaded and not breathing is what kicks in that fight or flight response. You know, where you feel... Like you just want to ride away. Yeah, you're nervous and you got your torso all tight and you're taking little short breaths. That's probably not good. Yeah, no. And so a few years ago, I found a coupon for some lessons website, you know, online lessons. And I took a few with a a singer, a voice coach, because I wanted to be you know, more confident in my speech and be able to kind of speak a little bit louder. And she taught me how to breathe. And I was like, oh, I've been doing it wrong all these years, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so the exercise that she taught me, you put one hand on your chest and you put the other hand on your, on your belly, on your abdomen. And you want to take these like long, deep breaths in the way that your stomach, the hand on your stomach rises and falls, but the hand on your chest stays still. Okay. Yeah. And that way, you don't kick off that fight or flight response. Your voice sounds more confident. You're actually able to think because your brain is getting oxygen. So that one, that was a huge revelation for me. Yeah. And then building on that, a, a little bit of silence in your talk is golden. I feel like when folks are just starting out, they just want to, you know, stammer through the whole thing, get as much information out as possible. Sometimes they have too much content and they're talking too fast, but having a moment to take a, you know, just a breath helps you recompose yourself and, you know, kind of catch up and 
just take mental stock of what you've said so far. And the audience doesn't notice that pause at all. To you, it sounds like this deafening silence, but nobody notices. And a correctly timed pause can even add a little bit of drama or mystery, right? What are you going to say next? You often do like a technical, all talking about technical stuff now, but like more technical stuff. You're teaching somebody something. Yeah. That pause actually, in, especially in those, uh, actually any kind of talk, that pause lets people think about the thing that you just said, the, the, what you just talked about. Yeah, that's exactly right. And when I first started out, I had a hard time pausing, just hearing that silence in the room, not being filled with anything. And so I always keep a bottle of water on the podium. And when I need to take a pause, I'll just take a few sips and then it's a little bit more natural, right? Nobody's going to fault you for being thirsty or, you know, having a clearer throat or anything like that. And so... Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. And you stay hydrated as a bonus. I know you've got a lot of stuff. I wanted to jump in and say, well, one, that those last two sentences were just filler sentences because I was thinking and I should have just paused. The other thing is what helped me even just thinking about... I'm definitely not a good speaker yet, but I'm I'm hoping to get there. But thinking about it is the people at a tech conference is are they're they're not at an inspirational Tony Robbins show. They're no. they're not expecting you to be a, a car salesman. They're your peers. They're just like a bunch of friends. So you don't have to freak out about people judging you for being nervous up on stage. Nobody cares. That's exactly right. If you can teach someone something and make it interesting in the process, then you get a gold star as a tech conference speaker. Yeah. Yeah, when I first started out my first few talks, I was super nervous about the audience. I just kind of assumed that everyone would be so smart and so advanced and I would be boring them with what I had to say, you know, that they would all know more than me. Kind of this this new flavor of imposter syndrome different from my engineering imposter syndrome. And in practice, that's completely not true. Yeah. If folks feel like they don't have anything to learn from your talk, then they're probably not going to be there. So it's kind of on you to write a good abstract and a good description of, you know, what you're going to say and to what level. That's one of the things I love about what you talked about. So you talk about the whole, you've got an introduction where it talks about your journey, and then you go through picking a topic, writing the conference proposal, which is great because I, first time I tried to do this, that was, I'm like, oh, I have to do that. I don't know how to do that. And that was hard. So you got to allow time for that. It's not a one-day task. You'll, no. And then you do talk about tools. One of the things I have to remind myself is to not spend too much time on tools because I'll just spend all of my time researching tools and not preparing a talk. Don't do that. The planning and time estimation and then writing and then practicing and delivering. So you kind of go through the whole thing. And I love that, that you don't just hang up on... It isn't just about how to get up there on stage and give a good talk. There's a lot of back work that you have to do just to get there. Yeah. How many proposals do you usually submit for a talk that you really want to go give a talk at? For PyCon two years ago, I submitted, I believe, two or three, and I did not get in. And I was pretty sad about that because I've spoken, let's see, I think I've done three PyCons, PyCon US so far, and I'm speaking again this upcoming year, or this year, rather. And uh, I was so sad about it that now the number of proposals I submit kind of depends on how badly I want to speak at the conference. And so I think for PyCon this year, I submitted five. Okay. Yeah. 
and maybe two or three new talks and then two talks that I'd given before. That's something that's interesting to me. And I didn't know going in that at different conferences, you can submit a talk that you've given before somewhere else. Mm -hmm. I know that that seems obvious to people that give talks a lot, but it wasn't to me. I thought I had to come up with something new every time. It wasn't to me either. The first three or four years that I spent speaking, I did a new talk each time. I feel like in the Python world, and I might be totally wrong here, just a gut feeling that you can start doing duplicate talks as you just gain more experience and become more established. Because once the talk is recorded and available on video, that really lowers the incentive for the conference to come and have you again, right? If somebody can just go and watch it online. Yeah, but it still happens. I've seen people that will give, there'll be a, a talk that'll be given at like, in Canada and then the U.S. and then in, it shows up in Europe and in somewhere else. Yeah. I'm actually surprised by the talk that was selected for PyCon U.S. this year. This year they did something really great where you could email the conference organizers and ask about feedback for your talk and see how well you did in the rankings, which I believe is new this year and was super helpful even for me. And it looked like two talks had gotten selected to the top out of the five that I submitted and they ended up picking one that I had given before versus one that was a new talk that I had only given once up till then. So I should have taken them up on that. I submitted five proposals. Mm -hmm. I got zero accepted and I was actually kind of happy about that because I'm an introvert and I was nervous about giving the talks. Yeah. You can still email them. So you can still go ahead and do that with your, in your rejection email, there should be instructions. Okay. I definitely like any bit of feedback that you can get, you can resubmit those same proposals, but improved next year, or you can submit them to some of the smaller regional Python conferences. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're also doing, I think we've got it in our booth. I think we're going to, I shouldn't be speaking about this because I'm not the organizer of it, but I think we're going to do an event where we invite some of the people that got rejected to give their talks at our booth. That's super fun. You can even have that as an open space. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things like. That's so cool about PyCon is the open spaces and stuff where, and the lightning talks, you can just sign up. It's like a first come first serve. You get to sign up and do it. You keep mentioning our booth. Whose booth is that? For the last couple of years, Michael and I have been able to do a booth together as like the community podcast booth, but we include other people too. And like, for instance, last year we had the guys from PyBytes, Bob Belderosa and Julian Sequera. And uh, a couple other people, people in the community that are, they're not like really pro doing stuff, but they're doing stuff on the side that's to help teach other people Python and doing a booth together. And this year we're combining that with the PyCharm team and having like a big Mongo booth with uh, Michael and I and a bunch of other people. Awesome. Thank you to PyBytes Code Challenges for sponsoring this episode. The best way to learn and improve your Python skills is through intentional practice. Reading books and watching videos is great, but nothing beats actually writing code and solving problems. PyBytes Code Challenges is an in-browser Python coding platform that offers a series of bite-sized exercises of varying difficulties, each designed to teach and push your Python skills to the next level. All exercises, or bytes as they're called, can be solved entirely within your browser, 
meaning no frustrating environments to configure. Even better, you're not coding alone. PyBytes Code Challenges offers an active and supportive global community of Python programmers who are coding right along with you. Stuck on an exercise? Hit up the community for some feedback on your code. The experience is tailored to help you learn and improve by pushing you to code with PyTest tests. If improving your Python code is a priority, you won't want to miss out on this deal for testing code listeners. Subscribe to Code Challenges using the link testingcode.com slash pybytes, also in the show notes, to get 20% off the monthly premium or annual subscription. Sign up now and you'll be coding in no time. How do you know if you have a good enough idea? For a talk? Yeah. Well, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) You just, you don't. Every conference has different requirements. Even year to year, what they're looking for is different. So I've had a PyCon talk, PyCon US talk rejected one year, accepted the next year with just a little bit added to the CFP. So some conferences will provide a useful list of topics that they're looking for that year, but otherwise it's just kind of a guessing game. And the best thing that you can do to make sure that your idea shines and stands out is to write a really good proposal. And your proposal should be detailed. It should have a good abstract. It should have actionable takeaways for the attendees. But you also need to remember that your proposal is kind of like a resume where the folks who review these talks, they're volunteers. And if you just have a wall of text, they're going to skim it and toss it out. No matter how good your idea is, it has to be well-formatted, well-organized, bulleted, easy to read, easy to figure out what the main takeaways are. So more of like a blog post format or something? A little bit. Some conferences give you guidelines on the types of submissions that they're looking for. For the past few years, I don't know if they've been including it recently, PyCon includes a fake proposal called Space Pug. So like Pug like the dog and space like outer space, where they just walk through an imaginary framework and break it down. Yeah, I wish they would do more because not all talks are like, that's a great, great format for if I'm going to talk about a framework. Mm -hmm. But if I'm going to talk about like the, I don't know, the power of public speaking or, you know, some one of those touchy feely things, who knows how to do one of those, but those sorts of talks do show up. Yeah, I don't have advice there. (laughs) <laughs> I like to I like to speak on technical topics. So what technical topic is are you sinking your teeth into lately? Oh, you didn't make it to Pi Cascades. You had a toothache. Right. So lately one of the things that I've been really excited about is playing with Python on hardware. And at Pi Cascades I did a talk about how to use Python to light up LEDs using the Adafruit Circuit Playground Express and Circuit Python. So if you haven't seen that talk, video is out and the slides are out and I recommend checking it out. It was really fun. Okay, so the videos are up now? Yeah, if they're not edited by Pi Cascades yet, there should, I'll post a deep link to the live stream for my talk. I'll post it on Twitter. Okay, that'd be great. And we can include it in the show notes too. Yeah, definitely. Because the, I mean, I know that the right away that the entire days went up. That's a little daunting to try to fast forward through an entire day of talk. Someone went and found the deep link for my talk and posted it. So I very much appreciate that. (laughs) But it was probably the most fun conference talk I've ever given. I got to, I brought some of the devices with me and I set up a webcam so I could do a little bit of a live demo. 
I had everything pre-recorded just in case anything went south or wasn't working, but I, I was able to do the live demo and people were just, you know, clapping and cheering. One of my coworkers who's in the audience said someone looked up and went, wow, cool. It was super fun because code is kind of this ephemeral thing, but when you can program hardware and you're actually seeing something happening, I feel like it's a lot more fun. I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, that's my passion project. Adafruit just released a really, really cool product related to Python. It's called the Pi Portal. And it's, um, I believe it's an M4 microcontroller. So in the world of microcontrollers that run Python, a little bit beefy. And uh, the board has a two by three screen on it. And it also has a Wi-Fi chip. Cool. Yeah. So you can connect it to the internet and use CircuitPython to display all sorts of stuff. They're sample projects. They have one that's a countdown to PyCon. So each day the number ticks down. They have uh, one that shows the amount of Twitter followers that you have. I think <laughs> every time you get a new follower, there's you know a noise or some confetti or something. I'm getting my Pi Portal in the mail today. So very excited. It looks cool. So it's even got a little... I don't know if it comes with a little stand, but it looks fun. I got to get one of those. Neat. And they're not very expensive. Yeah. This episode not brought to you by Adafruit, but I should hit them up. <laughs> I know. I, to be like transparent, they did send me my Pi Portal for free. So thanks, Adafruit. Okay. Well, cool. Yeah. I'll have to watch that. So you did a live demo. I tried. So the last when I last PyCon, I tried a live demo. Did not go well. So, yeah, and I did it because I really like it. I like watching somebody do live coding and stuff on and actually going through the code. It's interesting. Earlier, we were talking about good ideas and bad ideas. There tend to be a few features of a talk proposal that will get you rejected pretty quickly from the Python conferences. Live demos without a backup plan is one of them. If you're talking about a library or a framework that's just not very popular or commonly used, they'll usually get shut down. And then if you're talking about code that you're going to write and it, you don't have it yet, if you just have an empty GitHub repo, that's usually one of the ways to get rejected as well because conference organizers want to see not just the potential for a talk, but that you know you have something to talk about that your tech idea is going to work. And so I've always shied away from live code demos, just, you know, knowing that fact. And for Pi Cascades, I pre-recorded all of my demos. So just in case things didn't work out live, I'd be able to go to the next slide and play the video. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. Did you mention that you might do a live demo in the uh, in your proposal? I did. And I mentioned that I would put the pre-recorded videos in there. I was very, you know, upfront and clear about that. That's a good idea. Actually, I think I'm going to do that next time. Even because even there's weird stuff that happens. Mm -hmm. You'll practice something and it'll be exactly what the the conference organizers told you you're going to be dealing with. And then suddenly the projector you're working with has like a weird aspect ratio or weird uh, size. And in order for the audience to be able to see it, you got like seven lines of code up there. And I don't know how to code in like that sort of a frame. It's difficult. But if you've got your content up on a slide, you can figure out how to zoom into the right information 
ahead of yeah. time. Next time, I'm, even if I have want to do a live demo, I think having a backup plan of even having videos or just the slides with the code that you want to talk about on there. When I did the live demos and things worked great, I just skipped over that slide. Okay, so did the live demos work for the whole thing or did you use some of the videos sometime? The live demos worked you never know. It took me a minute. I brought this kind of homemade webcam on a tripod with a light because I, the live demo involved showing hardware, Yeah. right? So I had to show the Circuit Playground Express so that folks could see the LEDs changing, right? Or see that a button press was actually doing something. Oh, yeah. So you can't just like hold it up in the air while you're coding. Yeah. And so I had this special setup and I had to... Like for some reason, my computer wasn't recognizing the webcam, even though it worked just fine the day before. And so I had to reboot it three times until eventually I figured out that the webcam had to be plugged in for this model before I started it up or it wouldn't recognize it. And so, you know, it was down to the wire and it almost didn't work. But you also you never know if you're going to have internet. Conference Wi-Fi is notoriously bad. So if you have a live demo that you need to have internet for, you're calling APIs, you're doing something external, just never expect that to work. These sound like scary things, but they're all overcomable. And I want everybody listening to, I know a bunch of the people listening think are thinking, yeah, I've thought about doing a talk, but I really, it sounds scary. It is, but it's worthwhile and it's not as scary as it seems. And everybody's there to support you. And there's not a, it's maybe other weird tech communities, but Python community at the very least, they're all very supportive. Even if everything goes, crashes and burns, nothing works and you just stand up there and talk about stuff. It's only a small portion of somebody's uh, day and you'll get more, probably more support than any haters. Nobody's going to say, oh, that was terrible. Yeah. That's why I really flourished in the Python community. I did this lightning talk. I thought it was awful. But people still clapped and they came up to me afterwards and said, thank you. And so that encouragement really helped drive me forward. If it was a different community, maybe I, I wouldn't be doing talks so often. Maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. Maybe. And I like that you put together this and a lot of it's just the unknown. People are like, well, I, I don't know how to get into it. Well, you've got it now. So go to Nina's guide, read through this. And if it seems terrifying... Don't try to do a 25-minute talk somewhere. Try to do a five-minute lightning talk at a meetup or something. Yeah, I think everyone has something interesting to say, even if they're just a complete novice, talking about how they had their first big breakthrough or how they're approaching these big ideas and breaking them down into a way that they can understand. Everyone in tech has something to share. And part of what's interesting to me about a tech talk it's not just the straight technology. You know, if someone pulled up a code editor and talked about it and monotone for 30 minutes, I'm just going to zone out. I don't have a great attention span. So part of what makes a conference talk interesting is the story. And that's your story, right? Yeah. So anyone who is thinking about speaking, you know, think about sharing your journey. What was unique about it, right? Yeah, definitely. Any last words before we clear off? Yeah, I, I feel like I could talk about this topic all day. I might accidentally write an audiobook with you, right? Or record <laughs> an audiobook. <laughs> keep going. No, it's fine. If we got some more topics, let's just keep going. I think closing thoughts. Well, I have closing thoughts and then I have a few general announcements. 
So I wrote this seven part series. I wouldn't have any content for it if I didn't mess up and make mistakes. All of the tips and the advice there, it's come from my own experience. And so I'm hoping that by taking kind of the unknown and taking what I learned from my own failures and sharing it with others, that it'll give them a bit of a head start. And they won't have to fail in quite the same ways that I did. They can fail in new, exciting ways. Yeah, fail in new, exciting ways. And then they can leave a comment on my blog post. I wasn't sure how well it would land, but I published it about a month ago now. And so far, it has the whole series has about 15,000 views. Well, and hopefully even more after this comes out. I really like that you wrote it. I like that you're giving talks. I actually heard uh, somebody was on Twitter. I don't know if you saw this. But people were talking about the different kinds of people that show up at uh, conference talks. Mm -hmm. And you were referenced as the only professional speaker at the conference. And I'm, I was like, Nina's not a professional speaker, but I don't know, maybe you are. I think I saw some of that thread and uh, I was just kind of like, I don't, I'm not in the mood for this today. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I can't say I'm a professional speaker. I did my first big tech conference keynote late last year in front of 3,000, 3,500 people. Wow. And yeah, it was just 15 minutes. And for those 15 minutes, I practiced over and over and over again. Because, you know, like you said, there's Tony Robbins, there's these aspirational, motivational speakers. And to be a public speaker in any other space, you have to think about, you know, your pacing. Are you walking around the room in the right way? What are you doing with your hands? You know, this like TED Talk quality performance. And I'm not quite there yet. I don't know if I'll ever be. I just like taking technical concepts and making them easy to share, building on them so that the beginners in the room don't feel left out and just presenting them in a way that's not boring. One of the things I wanted to ask that we didn't cover, I'm actually surprised we didn't start with this. I've been aware that I've, I'm an introvert, but I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately because I'm listening to the book on tape for a book called Quiet that talks about, it isn't just about introverts, but it's about basically that there's all the different types of personalities and stuff that people have. It's a good book, but why, especially for introverts, Skidding up on the and talking in public does seem scary. Why would you want to do it? Are there any benefits? I'm going to share a little bit of the story about how I got into public speaking. And so I told you I was at PyCon Canada. I believe this was 2013. And I had met some very nice folks at the event. And the whole time I was just seeing all of these speakers who are so amazing to me you know, Julia Evans and Brandon Rhodes, who's, he's just an amazing storyteller. He can make any topic interesting. And I told them, wow, one day I hope to be like them. I hope to be able to share what I know on a stage. And they did something that was maybe a little bit evil, but has panned out. The last day, someone had dropped out of a lightning talk. And so they wrote my name in. <laughs> They wrote my name in and they came and they found me and they told me that I had an hour to put something together. Oh, that's perfect. You know, I was freaking out, but I did it. And that was kind of how I dipped my toe into speaking at Python conferences. 
The reason I do it is because I have over a decade of engineering experience. I've learned a lot of interesting things. I've seen a lot of interesting stories. I've come up with my own approaches for, for strategies that work for learning deeply technical content. One of my favorite topics to speak about is taking a concept that seems out of reach to beginners, breaking it down into the most digestible chunks, and then building on it throughout the whole talk. So my intro to memory management in Python, that's accessible to, to folks who are of any level in their Python development. And so that's been the most fun for me is just teaching other people, helping them along their Python journey. I've only been a developer advocate for a year. Up until that point, I was speaking at conferences. I was an engineer, so traveling to a conference took time out of my day for you know working on my actual code sprint. I didn't get paid for it. Sometimes I would have to pay for the travel out of my own pocket. I just did it out of a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody calling me a professional speaker, I, maybe I, that's what I'm growing towards in the past year, but I find that concept so hilarious. Did you get benefits from speaking even before you be, were a developer advocate? Folks coming up to me at the, after the talk and telling me that they learned something, to me, that's always the biggest benefit. It did help me kind of grow my own community. Yeah. Folks who were interested in the same stuff as I was would come up to me, come find me, come chat with me. It helped me grow an audience on Twitter, which was pretty cool. <laughs> now I feel like I'm not just shouting into the void. I'm shouting at, you know, a small subset of the void. So folks who are interested in Python interacting with me on Twitter is super fun. And I would say it's created opportunity for me. I would have never taken the leap into developer advocacy had I not had the experience of doing conference talks under my belt. And that wasn't my intent. Did you say that your first talk was 15 minutes? Mm. I just don't remember how long the lightning talks. The lightning talk was five minutes. Five minutes. Okay. And I was sweating the whole time. So I actually think that because if you want to do a big, a nice talk, you're really going to have to put in the time. But you're also, for the first time, you're probably going to be terrified about it. I think a great idea for people would be to just do like you do, decide you're going to do one, get ready for a five-minute talk at a local meetup or even to your the people at work. Just say, I'm going to do a lunch and learn, I'm going to do five minutes, and then we're going to hang out and talk or whatever. And only give yourself time, box it, an hour to prepare maybe, maybe more than that, but uh, not too much time or you'll overthink it. You need to pick a topic at first that you know so well that you can kind of fill in the blanks for a five-minute talk without too much trouble. That's a great idea. And that that passion always shows through. You know, if you're passionate about a topic that you're speaking about, that's always a great fundamental. For me, it's stuff that I'm usually excited about, stuff that I don't know very well. In engineering, we're always learning new stuff. And that's the stuff I'd really love to have a have a talk on, but I'm not an expert at that yet. It's the stuff that is old hat to me, that maybe is a better idea that I could really share with other people that it isn't double tap to them. So I'm not an expert on memory management in Python, but you know exactly like you said, I stumbled across it and I was like, wow, this is weird. I only know how memory management works in Java and this is not like that at all. And so the talk was kind of also documenting my journey into how I learned about it, how to have enough of a foundation to look at the implementation details and not feel totally lost. Cool. Well, if 
If people are preparing our talks and they need help, are there places around for people to help them put together a talk or do you know? Yeah. So a few conferences, I don't know if PyCon US does it, but Pi Cascades had a speaker mentorship program. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so I was a mentor for somebody. So people went and volunteered their time. Even during the proposal part. That's exactly right. Even during the proposal part, so that your mentor could help you craft a proposal that worked. All right. Yeah, so I'm sure other conferences do it too. I don't know any off the top of my head. Okay. Well, we're kind of getting long. I want to thank you a ton for coming on and talking about it and for writing this uh, ultimate guide. It's pretty neat. And uh, I can't wait to see you at... uh, Yeah, I had a few more things to add. As I was thinking about the why, I remembered about an interaction I had at PyCon last year where one of the women in the community came up to me and she told me now she's somebody who's done, has her own selection of conference talks under her belt. But she said she saw my talk in 2015 and that's when she got the idea and the motivation to think that she could do conference talks as well. Because up until that point, she hadn't really seen other speakers who looked like her, you know, other women speakers. Yeah. And I just started crying. I was like, that's the nicest thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Inspiring others as well. It's just kind of this unexpected benefit. I love that so much. And then I just had a few announcements to share. So at PyCon, the day before the main event starts, I'm going to be doing an hour and a half free sponsored workshop on Django, getting started with Django on Azure using VS Code. I'm giving a talk as well. I'll be giving a 45-minute talk on code reviews for Pythonistas, so strategies, but also tools. And lastly, I'm volunteering and organizing something really cool, something I'm really excited about. It's for diverse beginners who are new to Python, new to open source, have always liked the idea of maybe sharing their code and contributing to something, but not knowing where to start, maybe not knowing the tools, not knowing how GitHub works. And so I'm going to be doing a 15-minute quick intro to Git and GitHub at the beginning. And then we're going to have a lot of projects come with representatives to help those folks get started contributing. So TensorFlow is a project, CircuitPython, CorePython. We'll have maintainers from CorePython. The full list of projects is on the PyCon website. What day is that? One of the things that we identified why folks might not be participating in sprints is because they're after the main event. And folks who are new to open source don't necessarily want to stay and figure all of that out. So the mentored sprint is going to take place on Saturday, May 4th from 2.35 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. That's cool. I love that idea. Neat. Thanks for all of that. And uh, we'll see you at PyCon. Thanks. Looking forward to seeing you then. After we recorded this episode, Nina shared with me some exciting news that she has. Here's Nina with her news. I have an exciting announcement to share. I'll be keynoting PyCon US on Sunday, May 5th at 9.20 a.m. talking about one of my favorite passion projects, programming hardware and LEDs with Python. Don't forget to check the schedule for the latest. Thanks again to PyBytes Code Challenges for sponsoring the show. PyBytes are self-contained Python code challenges you can code and verify in your browser. Try them out at testandcode.com slash pybytes.
That link is also in the show notes at testandcode.com slash 71, which also has links to the ultimate guide to memorable tech knocks and other stuff Nina and I talked about. Thanks to Nina for talking with me for the show. Thank you for listening and for spreading the word about the show. And thank you to Patreon supporters. It's you more than anyone else who keep me doing this. That's all for now. Now go out and test something. Or maybe start an outline for your next or first tech talk. That'd be cool.